Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. Uh, We have two days left in our Kindness Always initiative. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to stop, you know, doing Kindness Always. It just means that our initiative comes to, uh, you know, rounds out in a couple of days. So I want you to um, recall the conversations that we have had here, maybe with Nicole Phillips or Don Everts, with others, talking about the extension of kindness one person to another Um, Would love for you to share your kindness story. You can do that um, by calling the Faith Line and leaving us uh, your testimony there on the Faith Line at 877-933-2484. You could certainly, if you wanted to, record an audio file um, on your phone and just email it to me, carmen at myfaithradio.com. We'd love to have some audio of you sharing your uh, kindness initiative stories. Your kindness always stories, how you responded to the kindness challenge, so that we could share them as inspiration uh, to others. We're going to round this all out on April the 1st, two days from now, um, on Bill Arnold's show in the afternoon. So we're going to be taking live calls during, I think, the four to five hour on Friday. So there you go. You could check check myfaithradio.com for all the info. Um, So Don Everett's book, The Hopeful Neighborhood, has in it a a mapping exercise. Um, we've had Don on the show. He talked about the book. He talked about the study guide. Like I, you know, it, it, I'm I'm a huge fan. Um, and so my family's been working our way through the Hopeful Neighborhood Study Guide, and it has this mapping ep- exercise in it. So we have taken the time to map our entire street. We now know um, who literally lives in every single house. Now we haven't I haven't met every single one of them, but I now have all of their names on my little map. And uh, it gives me an opportunity to pray for them as I pass their houses on my street every single day. Um, And not only pray by name for my neighbors, but include like empty houses or empty lots, people I have not yet met. And um, and then it makes it much more easy to engage with them. Like I can literally call them by name because I've been praying for them by name even before I met them. So just this week, um, God has provided opportunity for me to meet Emma, Heather, Ben, uh, John, um, I have had opportunity con- to confirm that Hayden and Caitlin's baby is due at the end of April, as is uh, um, Nikki and um, and Hank's baby. Bill's mom has moved in um, with him, and so we are, you know, bathing that situation in prayer. Richard and Jackie, uh, his mom also lives with them. Their daughter is getting married in September, and they're having a, um, you know, they're having an engagement party this weekend, and. You know, so they were out uh, cleaning up their property related to that. So there you go. Real life is happening all around us all the time. I need to know my neighbors' names and what's going on in their lives in order that I could be effectively praying for them during sort of the ups and downs and ins and outs of life. I'm encouraging you to go and do likewise. So the, the kindness challenge, you know, it's been good provocation for me. 
It's been really good provocation for me. Um, the the hopeful neighborhood has been very good provocation for me. I'm wondering what provokes you. What provokes you to go, you know, beyond that which is comfortable and routine. Um, so you know, sort of you know, make the cannonball into the pool as opposed to you know the dive that makes no ripples. So you know, what does it look like for you to sort of jump in in a way that um, doesn't bring attention to yourself, but does bring positive attention to God and maybe creates the possibility of having a conversation down the road when somebody is in need, you would be the neighbor um, whom they would call. So that's sort of my hope here that I'm holding out hope that I'm tilling the soil of relationships in order that when somebody is in need, um, I might be a person that God brings to their mind that they would have enough relational um, equity with to call upon, because you and I both know that then that gives me an opportunity to not only share the love of Christ, but the name of Christ and um, and his goodness, and maybe even have a conversation about him. There you go. All right. Uh, looking forward to hearing your kindness always stories as well. Next up, I got Nick Pitts, sort of, you know, kindness personified. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement, and Nick and I will be right back. at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at jnickpitts. Um, my friend, look down. Um, what shoes are you wearing right now? Um, you know, uh, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. I am not wearing shoes right now. And if I was in a public place, <laughs> I'm not place, either. I, 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 hopefully I would be if I was in a public place. But, you know, we just don't know. <laughs> it's 2021. Uh, it's 2021. Uh, I, I still have my slippers on. I just there you go confession. Um, okay, um, we're gonna talk. We're gonna start off with a conversation about shoes. What shoes are we talking about, and why are we talking about them today? We are talking about Satan shoes because those Satan shoes. Are what Satan the, shoes? The things to get. The things to get. So um, Nike has uh, filed lawsuit against Lil Nas X, and then a Brooklyn-based streetwear company called MSCHF on their limited release of some Satan shoes. And so um, there's a couple of things that will probably prick our ears. One, uh, this company, this Brooklyn-based streetwear company, MSCHF, last year, or two years ago, rather, they released, uh, um, what I think they were called like holy shoes that contained holy water, or Jesus shoes that contained uh, holy water. And so they've always played on this idea of just kind of, the extremes in order to profit off of um, uh, these whatever products. Micro markets, maybe. Maybe we call yeah. them micro markets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you've got Little Nas X, who is famous for his uh, just hit that just was so big, uh, Old Town Road. And a part of what made Little Nas X and Old Town Road so popular wasn't just because it was catchy, but also because he had upwards over 20 different variations of Little Town Road uh, with a variety of different artists from uh, just country artists to other rap artists to cultural figures. And it kept it at the top of the charts for so long. So 
Lil Nas X coupled with MSCHF, they both know how to play upon the audience to engender a response. Hence, we get Satan Shoes, which they only released 666 pairs, and it was um, and it sold out within minutes yesterday. So, and, yeah, and some yeah. of the stories related to this. I mean, if you guys are going to read storylines related to this today. Um, you know, Nick and I are aware that some of the things related to this are just gross. I mean, they're just gross. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. we, we acknowledge that. We're teeing this up because this is a wide culture conversation. Satan is in the middle of it, um, as is a verse of Scripture that refers to Satan um, from the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and so, you know, any time that a verse of Scripture, Satan or Jesus— um, you know, make it into the headline news and certainly into the pop culture conversation, you and I as Christians need to be prepared to engage. So walking out our faith in uh, in Jesus, you know, walking by faith and not by sight, um, having uh, feet that are prepared to carry forth the gospel um, of Jesus. There are, you know, even when you're putting on the full armor of God every day, right? You are, you want to have feet that are prepared to carry forth the gospel. Um, and so you know, shoes are not an irrelevant conversation to have. Um, you know, even uh, John the Baptist said, you know, I'm not worthy to untie the sandals uh, of the one who comes, um, you know, who comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. This is a Jesus opportunity. This is an opportunity mm-hmm. to engage in a conversation that's happening in the culture, not to just have screaming fits about, you know, what one pop culture icon named Lil Nas X is up to or what mischief the shoe company is up to like this is not so much about you know nike's uh um uh, infringement um copyright infringement although all of those things are going to make it into the headlines the point that Mm -hmm. nick and i want to make is we want jesus to make it into your conversations today what what does it look like to be yoked to christ and to walk by faith um with him every day well you're not going to be wearing satan shoes when you do that you're just not yeah, it's the there, there's just one. It, it just is indicative of just how the there's a growing increase in the religious nuns, right? Individuals that are religiously unaffiliated has grown from 17 percent in 20, 2009 to 26 percent today, and so individuals just, just are just largely not being a part, not uh, affiliating themselves with religion. And when you don't f- familiarize yourself with the devil, of course, he just seems like a cultural icon to make a buck off of. But as Christians, mm. we know that the devil isn't just somebody to make a buck off of. It's somebody that we're supposed to flee because he prowls around like a lion seeking to devour from First Peter. So we're keenly aware of that. The second piece is that um, you know, Lil Nas X has questions of his sexuality. He's been very open about that as well. And, and the, the shoes follow after the release of this music video, which was very provocative and and sexual and really was just trying to engender a response as he was dancing with Satan in this video. There's even a line where he says, you live in the dark boy. I cannot pretend I'm not phased, only here to sin while he's dancing with Satan. And so as a Christian, when I'm hearing that Luke 10, 18, like Satan, uh, he fell, when I'm hearing this idea of wanting to be very provocative and promiscuous with Satan. 
it's a beautiful opportunity for me to share. Well, help me. Let me tell you a little bit about why I don't dance with Satan, but also why I've been given the opportunity and that I can have joy complete in Jesus to dance with him because he's the one that completes my life and fulfills my soul and gives me a real reason to dance. Mm. Okay. I didn't know the dancing with Satan part. So thank you so much for, um, for bringing that up. Um, speaking of Satan, um, Rick Joyner is a, a is an evangelical pastor. He says that um, liberal activists are in league with Satan, um, and that a civil war is coming. Nick Pitts and I are going to talk about that right after a very brief break. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, how would you like to be at this Easter brunch table? Let's go to Reverend Rick Joyner's house uh, and and uh, sit down for Easter brunch with he and his kids. What is he saying and what are they saying and why are we talking about it today? Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> so as, like, as, I totally uh, want to be there, by the way. I, I am that person that wants to be at this Easter brunch table. I, I feel like this is, this is well, it's not to the extent that his is, but it definitely I feel like I've sat at, I've sat at tables like this before. So uh, Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times uh, kind of wrote a, a phenomenal little piece about how the Reverend Rick Joyner, the, the famous evangelical leader that many of you know so well, and uh, his family, his five children, there's a, a civil war that has been brewing within them. And his five children, I, I don't know if all of them, but I do know that most of them are um, of different evangelical, different viewpoint relative to God, different viewpoint relative to politics. And and there's uh, there's little clashes that are happening. Some are more antagonistic than others, but all are in agreement that uh, that they, they believe that their father is uh, uh, not uh, is acting inappropriately with some of his. Uh, some of his statements, like journalists, are constitute quote the worst terrorist threat, and um, that they th- he thinks that there's a coming civil war. Um, it's just it's interesting. Yeah. So um, when he talks about the need for American Christians to be prepared to take up arms um, against the uh, what he describes as you know the Marxist radical left in the country. Um, he has children who identify with uh, with that. I mean, he uh, Joiner openly suggests, actually says that um, uh, Democrats are evil. I mean, he he aligns those two words. Um, all five of his kids vote Democratic by their own, um, you know, by their own admission. And so the conversations that they are likely having. I mean, I guess I I hope they're having conversations, right? Obviously, this one. Um, the one daughter who is highlighted in the story um, is obviously in in at least I don't know if she's in dialogue, direct dialogue with her dad, but she's dialoguing with her dad over her own podcast. Right. So, yeah, this is maybe this is another conversation we could have here um, as Christians. Like we're supposed to go to one another and have conversations. We're not supposed to be mm-hmm. having the conversations that we should be having with one another and instead having them with other people in public. So Rick Joyner is preaching about things and teaching about things in public that obviously are contrary to not only the uh, the viewpoints of his five adult children, but 
He's at least got one, uh, Anna Jane Joyner, who has, is a is a climate change activist and has her own podcast on which she directly talks about this. I just it's just interesting to me that there's this all this public discourse and you wonder I mean, you do kind of wonder what plays out at the Easter brunch table. And maybe we could talk about that. How do you sit down at table this Sunday um, with family members who, you know, maybe you're a Republican and maybe they are a Democrat. Maybe you are. Um, maybe you're not a Christian and they are like, OK, there's all kinds of ways we could approach this. Right. So the 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 mix of relationships here can be um, can be pretty intense. Yeah. I, you, you know, that Carmen, there's two things that really pop out to me that we could probably just elaborate on um, for hours upon end. One is the family dynamics that are in play, what politics has done relative to our families right now, where politics has taken on a greater emphasis and now we think it's a, a disagreement with politics entails us now uh, wanting to break relationships with families. There's numbers that indicate upwards of 14 to 16 percent of individuals have broken a relationship or friendship in their life, family members included, because of politics in the 2016 election. It's just it's just crazy. Like the number of people that would only approve that are only approve. It's like upwards of 60 or 70 percent that your child marries someone of the same political party. That, I, that's just, it's just very, it's just, I, I'll say for it, it's just very, um, very, uh, I would say, inappropriate. It would be unhealthy relationship you have with politics. The second piece being the fact that there's just a commingling of interchangeably using spiritual language and political language. Uh, at the end of the day, my fight, my fight isn't with Democrats, my fight's against the devil. You know, like uh, we're, we're fighting against the powers and principalities of the air, not those on the other side. We're disagreeing with them, but we're also keenly aware that I'd rather lose a political point and gain an eternal soul. Um, and I think that there's just this intermingling. I think it's just really unhealthy. I have my political convictions, but my biblical convictions are much deeper rooted and I care much more about them. So when I'm sitting down with my family, I'm wanting to I kind of emulate what uh, James told us. Uh, I want to be very quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger um, and really just take on an ear and be like Jesus and just ask a lot of questions. Remembering what my grandma said, whoever asks questions usually leads the conversation. Mm. Oh, I like, I like your grandma. <laughs> She's pretty great. Bet- She's pretty great. And she knows how to make a good honey baked ham. So I'm <gasps> super excited. Oh Yeah. Spiral, spiral mm-hmm. slice. What will the sides be? Uh, I just hope there's sweet potato casserole mm. and her chocolate pie will be a part of it. But, you know, Carmen, it is really interesting because I will. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to Tennessee, um, to our, our homeland. And lo and behold, I know that uh, I sit at a very uh, our table is not homogeneous when it comes to politics. And we do have those political discussions. But at the end of the day, we remember that our political conversations are a minute significance when compared to the weightier things, like wanting to take care of one another, be there for one another. And specifically for us, my father not wanting to exasperate his children to anger, according to Ephesians 6, and me wanting to heed the command to honor my father and my mother. I love that. That's so balanced. It's so good. It's so biblical. Um, And um, so can you repeat it? So repeat, you know, your father's commitment Right. That's a biblical commitment mm-hmm. to not 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 exasperate your children. I'm yeah, thinking that's I, from Ephesians. Yep. 
Ephesians 6, 4, we're not one, uh, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to anger. But then on the flip side, children, uh, we are to honor our father and our mother. And so what are, um, we're playing a game of competition, according to Romans 12, of trying to outdo one another in showing honor. And the key point is, for fathers and for children is our response is not contingent upon theirs. And so we don't withhold honor just because they're not they're provoking us to anger. Regardless of their actions and behaviors, the biblical uh, the biblical narrative shapes my response, not their not their response to what I'm doing. All right, I really wanted to talk with you also about the Ever Given Barge, which until yesterday was stuck sideways, uh, blocking the flow of traffic through the Suez Canal. But it's now not blocking it anymore, so we could probably return to that conversation on another day. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm sure we could. I'm just, it was so, going to be so fun. We were going to get us, had so, all these kids were weighing in about all the ways to solve the problem, and I loved, I loved their input. They had great ideas. Mm-hmm. It's really tough because preferably I'd like to be like one of those ships and just sit around and talk about it. But (laughs) inevitably, we're just going to have to let this float on um, until the next (laughs) ship (laughs) blocks the barge. I love talking with you, man. Thank you so much. Um, Have a blessed Holy Week and and certainly happy Easter. Oh, thank you so much. You as well, Carmen. All right. That is. Oh, and congratulations. I can't believe. Oh, thank you. I, I can't Nick got engaged, you guys. I can't believe I I, I, I can't believe I failed to lead with that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I mean I'm no, so thrilled. You, thank you so much. Thank okay, you. Okay, it's so great. It's so great. All right, congratulations, man. That's Nick Mitch. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Uh you can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. We'll be right back. All right, what in the world is going on in the world? What is working? What is not working? How might some of it be fixed? All of those conversations up next with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. We'll be right back. One of the most powerful influences on young people today is their need to belong, to fit in, and to be accepted by their peers. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Research shows that the need to belong is growing, but a sense of true belonging can't be bought. And if teens don't find a sense of belonging in their own family, they'll start looking for it in all the wrong places. I've worked with thousands of kids over the years, and most of them are acting out of some kind of loss or a need to belong that was unfulfilled. In your home, give unconditional love and encouragement, making sure your teen doesn't go elsewhere to find acceptance. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. You can find Luke Moon at the Philos Project. You can also find him on Twitter at Luke Moon One, where he describes himself as husband. Well, I gotta read. I gotta read it. Husband, father, and son, subject and friend to a king, who has no beginning and no end. International teacher, advocate, writer, and wisdom hound. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. 
Luke is joining me via Skype from his truck. I love that. I love that you're sitting in your truck <laughs> in North Carolina and that via Skype you're talking with me. I just isn't technology great. It is. It is. This is the only place I could get without waking up the family or the neighbors. So I was like, you know, I, I get it. This is a- I have done the radio show from uh, inside a vehicle before because it's a, it's actually its own little sound booth. So there you go. Okay, let's um, let's lead off with the China Iran trade agreement um, and why why we should care. Well, I mean, it's 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 China and Iran. I mean, those those uh, they they signed a twenty five year uh, trade agreement. The benefit to Iran is that they get access to banking, they get some railroad stuff, telecom ports, all that. Uh, the benefits to China is they get oil for for cheaper prices, and so it's a good deal for them. But it's a bad deal for everybody else, right? Because China is is making very aggressive moves towards kind of being an empire, and so is Iran. So you have two groups uh, forming this, uh, you know, evil access, access, access of evil. I don't know what, it, back in the day we used to call it those things, but really it, it could, the, the potential for, for some, for some real disruptive uh, affiliations uh, is really problematic going forward. I mean, leave aside the kind of nuclear ambitions. I mean, it's it's China's not going to at all be interested in stopping uh, Iran from getting nuclear weapons, and and the Europeans and the U.S. are are quickly running out of options on that front. So it's not a good thing. You know, when we talk about worldview. It occurs to me that um, you know we we in the West have a view of, have had a view of human life where the individual is valued and precious um, image bearer of the living God. When we talk about Iran, we are talking about a different worldview. Um, when we talk about China, mm-hmm. we're talking about a different worldview. I might throw into this mix Russia, um, you know, where there is also, you know, there again, a, a different worldview. The worldview conversations, Luke, um, are, almost always right beneath the surface of whatever the conversation is that's happening in the headline news globally. Yeah. No, they are. And and it's not just the worldview. I mean, it's the worldview. It's the, it's the underpinning religious nature of these uh, regimes, whether it's China or Iran. I mean, the interesting thing ab- about both China and Iran is I mean, there's a couple of factors that are really interesting. One is they have both of them have ter- terrible population growth issues, which which means that there's a, actually a limit to how long they will be great because they stopped having kids a long time ago, and it's going to affect them like it's going to affect everybody else. But the other, you know, they're uh, quickly becoming uh, strongly Christian, right? I mean, the the largest church by you know, numbers of people in the country and the world, actually China, right? Millions and millions of people are, are Christian. And the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And so it's a, it'll be very interesting to see how that factors into, you know, what, what ha- potentially could be a very, I don't know, catastrophic scenario for the world could actually end up being uh, some kind of strange blessing in God's providence and and part of His redemptive plan for humanity. Like it's it's you gotta look at sometimes these things in the in the moment. It's like oh man, this is this is terrible. This could be this is going to be really bad for the world, and millions of people are going to die. 
but it could end up, honestly, Carmen, it could be, end up being the opposite. It could be something amazing because that's how right, God the works. Big, yeah, the big storyline, the big redemptive storyline, the, the redemptive arc over the narrative is something we always have to um, be willing to look for. And thank you for helping us find it. Um, China, while we're uh, while we're talking about China, um, what is going on um, in relationship to the Uyghur population? Do we know more about that than we have known in the past? And I have been particularly concerned about the stories related to kids. Right. I mean, I mean, the Uyghur situation just continues to be a problem. One of the things that happened this week was H&M, the the uh, clothing retailer uh, was spoke out against the abuse of of uh, the Uyghur population uh, and as a result got smacked down uh, by the government of of China and you know a bunch of of Chinese prominent Chinese people uh, disassociated themselves with the brand and they were not going to be associated with them anymore but the the weird thing is Carmen was that uh, Google Maps shut down you couldn't find an H&M store uh, all of the, you know, the reviews of H&M were, were turned off. Basically, it was if you wanted to find H&M on your cell phone in China right now, you can't do it because uh, China turned it off. And that's kind of scary, right? Like that's a like that's a kind of collaboration between big tech uh, and a regime that literally has concentration camps for millions of people. And we're like, eh, it's, it's scary. Let's um, continue to uh, have the Uyghurs on not only the forefront of our minds, but um, actually, you know, doing things tangibly in our own lives that um, that support them and do not support uh, the Chinese government in the oppression of them. So you guys need to become more familiar with that situation. If you're looking for how to spell Uyghur, um, you have actually a couple of options. Um, but if you start typing U-I-G, uh, trust me when I tell you, news related to the Uyghurs is going to pop up. Um, so um, there's a there, there seem to be a couple of different ways to spell it. One with an I, one with a Y. There you go. All right, um, Luke, let's um, let's talk about Syria we uh we are wow uh this is a civil war that's been going on for a very long time um talk with us a little bit about the situation in Syria um and just how bad things are getting there well you know one of the challenges was that that the blockage in the Suez canal by that ship stopped a bunch of fuel and supplies that are much needed in Syria here's a, here's a decade long civil civil war uh and there's no food left. There's no fuel left. People, it like, add to an already civil war crisis. On top of that, you add uh, the COVID crisis, which locked down everything. The the bomb blast in in or the explosion in Beirut last year. Be, uh, Lebanon was a was kind of a a trade route. People would go to to Beirut to get supplies, and then they'd take them into Syria. That was a pretty normal path that isn't accessible anymore. And so you have a really catastrophic situation. And one of those things I was thinking was that, man, it's at which point is this going like people are going to be like enough of this, like fighting each other. We just got to live here. And and I mean, I wonder if this could be the point in which kind of the 
you know, the civil war part of this ends just because of the desperation of everybody. Right. There's mm-hmm. a there's a point in which survival it, perhaps or hopefully uh, trumps uh, hatred. Uh, and that's my that's my hope at this point, because it seems so dire. Mm, it does seem so dire. All right. I'm going to take a very brief break when we come back. Uh, Luke Moon and I are going to talk a little bit about the religious foundations of the Arab-Israeli peace accords. Um, Again, bringing worldview conversations to bear on uh, geopolitical uh, things that are taking place in the headline news and helping you bring the mind of Christ to bear on all of it. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Uh, if you had visited the Philos Project at philosproject.org some 40 days ago now, you would have seen the invitation to join the John 15 Challenge. You actually can still do that if you go to philosproject.org. We're encouraging people to not only read John chapter 15, but seek to live into Verse 17, this is my command, love one another. Um, So, Luke, maybe just reflect on what the experience has been like uh, in the John 15 challenge as Lent is, um, you know, we're now in Holy Week. Yeah, it's it's been really good. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where I I like being challenged to, to, you know, ponder a passage for a long period of time. And, and I think it's been, it's been very helpful for me to, you know, think about the point in which I I am willing to like cut people off, right? And and be like, it's it's. I think it's. I feel like it's impacted how I engage on social media. I'm very much more aware of my my the the command of Jesus uh, to to love others and to you know love my brothers and sisters in Christ, even when I disagree with them profoundly which is yeah. often. <laughs> well, which, is of, which is often because we're human, and that's you know, sort of how this works. So John 15, just as a reminder to those of you who are listening, is the vine and uh, the branches passage. You know, Jesus is talking about being the true vine. His father, the gardener, um, talks about uh, the way in which um, we are supposed to be, right, producing much fruit, reminding us that apart from him we can do nothing, uh, and then the cutting off parts, right, of the passage, uh, the the encouragement to remain or abide in Christ um, and that it be to the Father's glory that we would bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. So, um, you know, we could talk about uh, the cursing of uh, of the fig tree and when we are just have leaves and no fruit, but we can also talk about the Galatians passage where, you know, upon inspection, sometimes our fruit is not good. So, not only do we want to be uh, not all leaf, like, right, all leaves, no fruit. We want to be fruitful, but we also want to be people of good fruit. So just encouragement in all of that. And uh, the good fruit list, uh, by the way, starts with love. All right. Um, yep. Let's talk a little bit about the religious foundations of the Arab-Israeli peace accords. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges that is often overlooked is is the role of religion in these peace deals. I mean, the Abraham Accords, you know, it starts out, it's, it's very much around economic. It's, a, it's an economic incentive. And there's, there's often this issue for 
the State Department or those involved to be like really downplay the role that religion plays in people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think they do this for a couple reasons. One is, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. One is, is, is that a, they are unaware, right? The average diplomat, like religion is not play a key part in their life. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't mean that for everybody, but for a lot, it just is not, it's not, it's not important. It's not an important part, right? And so they have no paradigm by which they them the other people are making decisions based upon religion. They're like, I don't understand that, right? But the other factor is also important. Is like, what are they gonna do, right? And and I, I I'm I'm wary to a degree of the State Department. I don't know how deep they're gonna go into like affirming religious thinking, right? Because I. I mean, what are they going to say about Christianity? I'm always mm -hmm. worried about what, what some like government official is going to like say about Christianity. But it 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 does play a role, and so it, it's important for, at the very least, for the peace deals, for the people involved in making them, to understand how much people's decision making is rooted in their religion. And I think one of the things that I I I camp out at is this place of what we call extremism, because I think what where where like extremism is often like depends on where you're standing, right? Because I I don't want to if somebody called me Carmen a moderate Christian I would be like insulted, right? Because I'm not I'm not, like I like <laughs> I'm dedicated I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ I want to like I'll give my life for him, right? And and it, to to, for somebody to say, oh, you just, that's just moderate. I'm like, no, I'm not, right? But but when we talk about, you know, our, our the best Muslims we can imagine are like moderate Muslims, right? Like, it seems a little insulting. And so I, I started using the term uh, violent and nonviolent Muslims, right? You know, mm. as, as the decision-making, like as the divide, because actually that's where I want the divide to be, right? I don't care if they're... If they're committed to, to to Islam, like it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be violent, right? I'm well. I'm that's at least that's the direction I'm going to go with my with my the the, the grace because I'm I extending. Don't, yeah, because I don't want the same yeah. projection to work in the opposite direction, right? So exactly. I, I mean, I exactly. it's been more than a decade ago. I had this conversation with some you know with someone who was using language related to um, related to people of Muslim faith. And describing them as um, using the word extremist, using the word fundamentalist. And I said, OK, so let's just pause right there, because I, I need for you, because this person was not a Christian, I need for you to tell me how you view me as a Christian, because I, you know, I am not a fundamentalist by the, you know, if you put a big F on the front of that word and talk about, you know, historic Christianity, but most people are not using the term that way anymore. Um, and so, yes, right. this person was like, yeah, you're a fundamentalist Christian by their definition of the term. And I'm like, and would you consider it extreme that I would say I, I would absolutely die for my Christ? I would absolutely die yeah. for my public for my public witness and testimony. He's like, oh, yeah, that's totally extreme. I'm like, then I'm an extremist fundamentalist Christian by the definition that you're applying. Are you now afraid of me? Do you now think that my civil liberties and rights should be, you know, 
limited and um you know and, and so we do have to recognize that language is meaningful i like the way yep. that you are using the words violent and nonviolent i am definitely a nonviolent christian definitely yeah i'm a yeah. i'm a nonviolent extremist christian yeah, Carmen. Me too. Me too. There you go. Oh, a lot of confession this morning on the morning show. Lots know, of confession. Um, Luke, um, what else um what else should be on our radar today? We got like a minute. What else should be on our radar internationally? Well, there's there's elections coming up soon, hopefully, in in the Palestinian territories. And some of the top leaders, uh some of the closest confidants of of the President Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, have came out with a piece this week in, in Foreign Affairs where they basically said we need to re- restart these negotiations and talk about this in a different way because like the the obstinance by which they've engaged the international community as a result, especially of the Abraham Accords, has has done us no favors and we need to engage differently. And it was it was quite. Uh, important, hopefully a major change. Uh, they have elections coming up, uh, hopefully also, in which it, it doesn't look like Hamas is going to win, which is which is everybody's kind of fear of why elections haven't happened in a while, actually a, over a decade. Um, but it, it, it does seem like at least what I'm always concerned about is like, where's the leaders, right? I mean, because Mahmoud Abbas, the, the guy is very old. Uh, the, you know, his right-hand man, uh, Cy Berkot, uh passed away with, with COVID earlier this year or, or last year. And it's, it really, it's the, the leadership vacuum is serious. And these guys stepping up, uh, I think it made a huge statement and it was in a, it wasn't just in some random, you know, not that the Jerusalem Post is random, but it was like foreign affairs was where it was put. So it's a it's it's a very uh, timely piece, and hopefully it will these guys will end up being able to make a difference, and we can finally uh, move the needle on the Israeli-Palestinian peace negotiations. So that's exciting. All right. Yeah, that is exciting. All right, if you guys are looking online for that, it's called A Palestinian Reckoning, Time for a New Beginning. Um, Luke Moon, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, my pleasure. All right, it's just great. All right, uh, we got to take one more brief break, then we'll be right back. All right, where in the word are you this morning? Why don't you spend a few minutes in John chapter 15 if you haven't been there lately? That's what I'm going to be uh, focused on here for the next few minutes until the second hour of Mornings with Carmen's begins. We'll be uh, right back with that. But uh, thank you for joining me for this first hour. You could share it with somebody else at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.